This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Bonnie Garmus, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and so you're in London and it's 8 a.m. and I'm in it Sydney. <laughs> I'm in Sydney and it's 5 p.m. and I've just poured myself a glass of wine. <laughs> Do you know, yeah. Bo- Bonnie, this is the first time I've ever done that on a podcast. So there you well, go. Well, I, th- I, I think maybe you should make it a permanent mm-hmm. addition to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I should. Now, Bonnie is a copywriter and creative director who has worked in a range of areas, including technology, education and medicine. Her debut novel, I mean, incredible, and we'll talk about this, Lessons in Chemistry has been received to wide acclaim and is popular with the better reading community, hugely popular. They've loved it. It's funny, moving, inspiring, and it's about a woman who set out to defy the odds in her male-dominated science field in the 60s in California. Now, I was talking to an author, was it today or was it yesterday, who was talking about her writing process and she was maybe 40, maybe late 40s, and she said, my advice to writers would be to start early, start writing in your 20s and 30s. I said, no, I don't agree with that. I actually don't agree with that because I've read some wonderful books of people starting because for for a lot of people, the fiction, even though it is fiction, it's it it's the life experience. Yeah, yeah, and that's life, that's yeah. this book. Yeah, this book is. Although you know, I will say I've been working as a writer for a very long time, so I could actually practice writing um, on someone else's dime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, and a lot of copywriting to me, I think it's like writing short stories. Um, and I did also a lot of speeches, so. That's another instance where if you're speaking in front of, you know, a thousand people or so, you really can't afford to bore them. So I tried to bring that <laughs> no, into no, I mean, you a lot can't. of people do. Oh, yeah. a lot of people do. Um, you know, you see those meetings where people are like, oh, yawning oh my gosh. their phone. Um, yeah, so that was actually a huge training ground for me. And um, and an awful lot of uh, authors did start out as copywriters, including, you know, James Patterson, even Kurt Vonnegut. Um just uh, Sam and Rushdie, you know, we were all copying. Peter Carey. Yeah, yeah. Peter exactly. Carey. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, hey, I just, um, uh, I just want to go back to story and plot and entertainment. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, by the time the author gets to me, right, um, you know, stories, are, you know, the story is usually very, very good. And, you know, they've been through the editorial process and they've been through the publishing process, which I think, you know, most publishers are exceptional, you know. Um, but occasionally we get sent books that are self-published or just, you know, wanting to publish and I will flick through them 
and no one has taught them about the arc of a story. There's just no plot. There's no entertainment and there's no plot. That I, I wonder sometimes whether people, why they don't get that. Because as I'm not a writer, but I love story because there is something happening, right? Exactly right. It is really funny. I find that too. Um, and, you know, for me, I think if you're a huge reader like you are, I am, I think you you naturally see how a plot evolves and how important characters are and, you know, how there has to be this weaving of story. But sometimes people who just decide, you know, I'm going to write a book, don't think of these things because they're not readers in the first place. <laughs> so yeah, that's that true be, too. Yeah, that's true that too. Can be, that, that could be an issue. Yeah. 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 But even sometimes when I'm sitting around a dinner table and, and somebody will tell a story, I'll step, you know, I, I mean, I like telling stories, so I'm, I'm good you know, as I said, I don't write, but I'm, I am I can tell a story. And then somebody uh-huh. will tell a story and I thought, mm, I wonder, did you know that that was going nowhere, that that wasn't really, that really had no. I would no love to re- be at a dinner table with you. <laughs> that really had no reason to be told. But anyway. oh, I, know. I find myself going like this all the time. I'm yeah. waving my hand right now like. Uh-huh, I can see uh-huh, it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, let's get to the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I know. It is really true that sometimes you just go, well, I have a, um, you know, a couple people who have written their memoirs and have sent them to me. And I just think, you know, you had an interesting life, but you left it out of this memoir. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. That's yeah, right. Anyway. Um, okay, so I want to go back to, you know, where it all started um, and, you know, where you grew up because you've got an American uh-huh. accent, haven't you? Yes, yes, I grew up in Southern California. Yeah, okay. All right, so tell me how you came to, to writing this book, but going way back. Way back. Well, um, my very first book, I wrote it at age five. It oh, was a page long. Yeah, it yes. was really good. Um, but surprisingly, it had no plot, just as we were talking about. It only had one character, a princess. And my kids found it several years ago in the basement and have mocked me and really ridiculed me. <laughs> you can't believe you kept this. Anyway, that was my first book. Mm-hmm. And then my second one, I actually wrote an entire book when I was 12. I was wow. very proud of it. And the school librarian put it in the school library and no oh. one ever checked it out. I love I know her. Because Wasn't that I a lovely thing too. to do? Oh my God. She was the best. And she told me at that time, you'll be a writer, I promise. Um, so that was great, but no one ever checked out that book because I checked every day to see if someone had, and they never had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started another book actually in my 40s, I decided to go back to graduate school. Hang on, wait. I'm, I want to go back to the librarian and why no one checked okay. it out because you needed to do a little bit of marketing, <laughs> don't you think? No. I mean, so I was just not going to pick it up off the shelf. I mean, who are well, you? Absolutely right. <laughs> and my my librarian really tried, but you know, as a writer, I was too shy. Yeah, uh, I did kind of tell a few friends, but it's not they went and rushed mm. out and picked it up. So. Yeah, my librarian did kind of tell, I forget what grade, I think I was like 12 years old. She did tell a big, oh, Bonnie Garmus has written a book and you can check it out. No one did. I was like, oh, okay. Die. Uh. Okay. Yeah. And then I started another book actually in my 40s. By that time I was working, you know, full time. So and where were you, never, in your, in your 40s? In my 40s. So when did uh, you... I was in, I was in Seattle by that time. Oh, uh, okay. And 
Yeah. And I was starting my copywriting or not starting. I was well into my copywriting uh, career, but I had decided to write this novel and it actually had Elizabeth Zott in it, but she was a very minor character in that story. And I didn't finish that story, that book for a lot of reasons. I got pretty far um, but it was actually a pretty good proving ground for me to see mm, if practice. I could hang in there. Practice. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I was just teaching myself how mm. to write a book. Then I put that one aside. And then I wrote another book. And that one I, I was actually very proud of. It was 700 pages long. Whoa. So maybe a Whoa. little heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I got 98 rejections on that from agents mm -hmm. who basically said, you cannot write a 700-page debut novel. Um, and then I wrote Lessons in Chemistry. Okay, so I want to go back to the 98 rejections. I mean, okay. how many, I mean, is that possible to get 98 rejections? Oh, it's possible to get far more than that. I, I would have <laughs> kept going. I was going to go to 100, but my husband said, that's a unusual goal. Um, so I stopped. <laughs> But I who know, are you sending to? There's not a hundred publishers uh, out there. No, a hundred agents in the United States. I'd sent it to a hundred agents. Oh, well, wow. 98. Wow. Yeah. And I got, I think this is a fairly typical path for writers. Mm -hmm. You know, they should expect horrible rejection every day. Mm -hmm. They should just expect no one's going to read. You know, these, I have to say, you know, I have an agent now, these poor agents, they get, my agent must get a hundred thousand queries a year or something. They can't possibly oh, go so, through yeah, all yeah. of that. Yeah. We get it yeah, too. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, I can only imagine. And then, you know, and then you, you get people go, Hey, you know, I just wrote this all by myself and there's mm. no plot, but I love the yeah. character anyway. Yeah. And so I understand, but still it was really hard to go through that. Um, so I needed some grieving period. And then I, the last rejection I got actually was from a, an agent who said, you know, I really love this 10,000 words I read, but you have no business writing a novel that's 700 pages long. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you this advice, which is to go back and write a novel of reasonable length and then get back to me. So mm -hmm. I did, but I never got back to her <laughs> because right. my, uh, I had an agent who signed me, she signed me on a partial. So I was very lucky. Of that book, of the 700 book. No, of this, of, of lessons in chemistry. Um, right. She okay. read, she read that on a partial and signed me on that. So okay. very lucky. So I want to go back a little bit um, again. So meanwhile, okay. you've got a life, you've got a career, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and what, what led you to be a copywriter? Like, what was it? Was it that the fact that you couldn't be a writer or was it <laughs> something that you desired? Talk to me about your career. Okay. Well, you know, I really, really wanted to be a writer, but I also really, really needed to make a living. And most writers, most book writers do mm. not make a living. It's less than 1% can mm. even squeak by. And um, I have two kids and, you know, we had the usual kind of life of double career, uh, two kids, soccer game. I was a rower, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I'm building, I'm I ran my own business, so I was constantly building that business, um, and it was more than a full-time job, but what I really liked about copywriting was that I could change all the time 
have a new client, write about something new, learn something new. And I got to meet a lot of really, you know, great people. Um, I did a lot of videos. I wrote a lot of speeches. I got to know a lot of people personally and, um, and kind of help them find their voice. Um, Mm -hmm. Although I will say a lot of people hired me to kind of make their speeches fun and, you know, funny, and then they deliver them. And because of, you know, they talk, like this Mm. during the joke. Mm. Okay. Well, that's not going to work. So, you know, a lot of it was this learning curve, but, um, I kind of, I didn't love everything I worked on or everyone I worked with, but I really learned a lot from these people. And Mm. the one thing I learned in copywriting is that you may not bore people. That is the golden rule. Mm. (laughs) So, so that's what I did. And then, you know, and then I wrote that, that, that novel, I didn't finish on the side, then I wrote the 700-page novel on the side, uh, and then I wrote this one on the side. And so that, on the just, side, on the side. Sorry to interrupt, but I've got questions no. here. On the side, meaning you're raising a family, you're working, mm-hmm. you've got a paid job. So yeah. what does the side mean? Does it mean that you're up at five o'clock in the morning? Does it yeah. mean you're writing at midnight? Talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I was I I am a rower, but and rowers get up really early. So the days I didn't row. I rode four days a week. So the three days a week I didn't row, I would still get up at 4.30, but I would write from 4.30 to 7.30 or 4.30 to 8 before I left for work. Um, And that was the only way I could do it because if I wanted to write in the evening, I couldn't because I'd been writing all day for a client and I was just written out. (laughs) So instead I wrote early. And then by the time I got to work, I was all written out, but you know, I was getting paid for that. So that was, <laughs> that was, that okay. was a motivation. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's how most writers have to do it. It, it just is not a mm-hmm. career that usually pays off. And so you have to be very careful about suddenly declaring that, you know, you're going to write a novel and be a novelist. And it's very, very difficult to, mm-hmm. to sell books. And mm-hmm. um, so that's what I did. I just did it on the side. Mm, yeah wow okay so um so then you've you decided to write lessons in chemistry you had a couple of chapters and you sent those to an agent is that right well well no what happened was so I had a, I was about three quarters of the way through it yeah and, or two-thirds of the way through it and we were transferred here to London and mm-hmm. we've been moving around a lot um and I really didn't know anybody in London. I was sort of depressed. And mm-hmm. I joined this class at Curtis Brown for writers. I know. Um, it. Yep. And I it's a three-month class. We met once a week. And, you know, for me, I don't think these classes actually teach you how to write. Uh, what they do is they offer incomparable support and sympathy and empathy for the writer. And you meet other writers and you can sit around the table and say, I cleaned the bathroom five times yesterday, but I didn't write a word. And they all understand. And Mm -hmm. so that for me, that group of people and Curtis Brown itself was really, really important. And at the end of that class, they happened to have a a cocktail party for the writers. And you can meet a few of the agents at Curtis Brown. And my agent, Felicity Blunt, came to that cocktail party. And we all had time. Hang on a second. Yeah. Is she Emily yeah. Blunt's sister? Yes. <laughs> yes. I really read about her the other day and it said that her sister was a literary agent and she's your yeah. agent. It's well, my well, there agent. you go. There you go. Well, you know, I'm such I'm I'm such a 
uh, an idiot in some ways. When I met her, I I didn't I knew that her sister was Emily Blunt. What I did not know was that she was married to Stanley Tucci. Um, and so she was telling me that her husband was an actor. And I actually said, oh, would he have been in anything I would have seen? I just, <laughs> That's, uh, I love it. I love it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So embarrassing. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was not my, my shiny moment. But um, she had read, I think, 10,000 words of lessons in chemistry. And she told me she really loved it and that we would keep in touch as I finished it. And then a few other agents had also expressed interest, which, you know, was thrilling. But before I finished it, she called me and said, you know, I know you're going to finish soon, but I'm just going to go ahead and sign you on based on what I've read. And so that's how I got my agent. That was a lot better than sending out queries, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, and better than getting 100 rejections, right. Oh, yeah. Well, 98. You know, my husband said that's not a good goal to have. (laughs) That's right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And so, wow, you really scored, didn't you? You know? Um, I I kind of, I, I really did. I couldn't ask. The funny thing is, is that I had seen Felicity on a YouTube video discussing what she looks for in a novel and what kind of agent she is. I've seen that. And I'd, yeah. And yeah, I've seen yeah. that. I've seen that years before. And that was the only idea I had of her, but it was so strong that video in my head at that time. I remember seeing that on YouTube and saying, she's my dream agent. Mm-hmm. And then I met her and now she's my agent. So how yeah, weird wow. is that? It was just, yeah. it just wondrous for me. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting? I mean, you know, every author has a path to publication and they're also different. And I'm telling you, I know so many of them. Um, And I know that course because a friend of mine has done that course remotely. She's been here in um, Australia and done it and loved it. Um, Yeah. But it's, you know, the lesson there is really to, is to put yourself out there in terms of learning first. Exactly. You need to learn. Of course, yeah. they're not going to teach you how to be a writer. I couldn't do that yeah. course and write a book because I'm not a writer. But, you know, you hopefully it attracts writers who really need to learn how to write. Yeah, I think, you know, what they tell you, they tell you to take yourself seriously. And I think that's probably yeah, wow. the best advice, you yeah. know, and and when you start taking yourself seriously, mm. um, you get very self-critical, which is good. And with copywriting, I had already had that. I was used to a lot of feedback. I was used to self-criticism. I was used to making things tight, 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 tight. And so going into that course and working on a book that was so long, 
um, I needed that structure from a, um, a, a teacher and my fellow students where we are all like, okay, we've mm. just got to get to the end of these, of these books. And we'll just kind of pull ourselves through to be, but to be honest, um, I mean, I think in that class, I, I only read a thousand words of everybody else's work and they only read a thousand words of mine. Um, and same with the instructor. It was really more about, do you have the stamina to write a novel? And mm. are you following these ideas of, like you were saying, arc, characterization? You know, are you doing, are you, what are your themes? How are you making this work? Mm. And and that was that was uh, really key for me. It was really mm. important to me. Stamina is a good word, actually. I hadn't thought about that before, but that's a good word for writing a book. Yeah, I, I think of writing a novel as you run a marathon over and over and over. It's it's just such a hard race to, to, to run. And especially if you are just committed to making this novel become something that will be lasting mm -hmm. and that will be read. And it, it just takes it to a different level, at least for me. It was just, you know, I felt this compunction to do as the best work I could possibly do, which meant my work at work began to take a dive. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, that was that was what I needed to do. So <clears throat> with writing uh, lessons in chemistry, when you were writing it, did you think, oh, this is the book? Did it have, because, you know, sometimes I hear people, you know, filmmakers, for instance, or actors, and they say, we knew that it was going to be, you know, there was a great feel on set. There was, you know, it was a cohesive team, blah, blah, blah. And we knew that this movie was going to be a hit. Did you think that by the time you got here, did you think, one, that you had improved because you'd practised and that, the idea, so the story and the craft came together for you? Is that, did you think that, oh, wow, this is it? This is well, my I think, moment. I, no, um, I think craft is something I've worked on my entire life. And craft is one of the reasons why I had such a successful career. It's because mm. I would not turn anything over to anyone unless every sentence bounced. You know, I was I've always been very cognizant of craft and I don't like to read books that aren't well crafted. If the sentences aren't, aren't, aren't full, if they don't have rhythm, I'm not interested. It, it's, I can be a little bit picky about that, I think, but mm -hmm. to me, um, it's a really important part. It's sort of like the difference between being a cook and being a chef, you know? Um, and I'm, by the way, I'm a terrible cook. Um, so, so it's, that part for me was really important. What I didn't know in my book was whether anyone in the world would be interested in a woman in the 60s, a chemist, having a TV show called Supper at Six. In my, the back of my head, I thought, no way. And when I tell a few friends what I was working on, they kind of go, uh-huh, mm. mm. you should keep your job. Um, and so <laughs> I wasn't sure <laughs> yeah. that it would that would find a very wide audience. Um, mm. But I really believed in my character, so I was mm. very hopeful. Mm. So tell us a little bit about the book um, because it is unusual um, and also I like how you kind of, you brought your, your day job, your career job to to your fiction and it kind of melded, yeah. didn't it? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, what happened with this particular book was I'd had a really bad day at work. Uh, I'd been in a technology meeting. I was presenting some concepts like I'd done a hundred times before 
uh, this meeting was all men. And after I presented my concepts, no one really said anything. And then about five minutes later, a man regurgitated everything that I said and took full credit for it. And everyone told him how brilliant he was. And I was just sitting there thinking, how many more times am I going to be in a meeting like this where I have to explain that those are my ideas and that they need to respect the fact it came from a woman? I was so mad after that meeting that I went back to my desk and instead of working, I wrote the first chapter of Lessons in Chemistry. And Elizabeth Zott, who had been this minor character in another book, she just she zoomed back to me that day. And I swear to you, she was sitting next to me at my desk going, my day has been so much worse than yours. You know, I can top you. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, as her story started to unfold, I thought, my God, things were, things were really bad when Elizabeth Zott was a chemist. And we've definitely improved. And I have to recognize that. But we still have a long way to go. So yeah. I w- it was with great interest that I wanted to hear what life was like for her. And she told me. So it was it was really a great moment that day. Um, you know, I've been mad, but I turned into something else. <laughs> mm. Do you know what I'm enjoying? That there's a real, and I'm sure it's the same in London, there's a real surgence, I'm not going to say resurgence, because it, it, there's a surgence of uh, female writers writing historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be, you know, for some people they f- find that that genre is too commercial or too popular or too whatever. However, our readers love it and it wouldn't have been something that I would have read, say, 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. But what I am seeing now are these writers, because they're largely female, are writing the male, uh, the female perspective and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're starting to hear, like you, like Elizabeth, we're starting to hear the voices of the women that were always there but never yeah. written about. Yes, exactly. You know, and my mom uh, was, I. that was when, when she was a mom, <clears throat> when my book is based, and it gave me a chance to see her in an entirely different light and see mm. all of her friends, see my entire neighbourhood of these women who were at home who were Mm. always dismissed as average housewives and suddenly see that they were not average and what they had to live under and just sort of blindly accept. Um, Mm. And it must have been hard. Uh, I know it was hard. (laughs) So, Mm. you know, I, for me, it was a really great chance. It's funny. I didn't know I was writing historical fiction. I thought, oh, you know, this is contemporary. Um, And I had no idea that that designation started you know, in an era that wasn't 1800. So that was my, my mistake, but uh, Mm. yeah, it is really interesting. There have been these voices coming forward now, and I really enjoy reading them. Mm, mm. We'd certainly, um, there certainly is a surgeons here in, in Australia and we're loving it a lot yeah. and it's Australian writers and, you know, sometimes yeah. I hear some comments and people say, oh, you know, like, you know, something like the, the dressmaker's wife or some just making that up and somebody will say, oh, but, you know, that's sexist. Well, Yes and no, because we're now hearing about the dressmaker because we never right. heard about her before. She was always there, but we never right. we never heard her story. Exactly, exactly. Mm. I think, you know, that show, this is going to sound funny, I never saw Mad Men, 
but I know it was about, I never watched because I was in advertising and I didn't want to watch work after work. Mm. But uh, um, it's funny because that's really about men. I mean, there was a woman copywriter in it, apparently, um, but it was really about men and the dominance of men and their stories. And um, yeah, I just think, what were all these women doing? Well, they were doing a lot, actually, mm. but they mm. never they never had a voice. Mm. And they were propping men up very often. A friend of mine, a really dear friend of mine, whose mother died recently as well, um, her husband was a minister um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in politics here in Australia uh, and in New South Wales specifically. And she was telling me the other day that her mother used to go through all the files every night and read every request, every submission, and then she would sort out what he needed to read. And it's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. It's and amazing. she had seven yeah. children. Yep. Oh, that's right. Oh my God. So yeah. I don't even know. I only yeah. had two. I, I look back, my mom had four, and my dad had to travel all the time. How did she do that and mm-hmm. not go crazy? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Okay, so what are you writing next? Well, I'm writing another book. This is a male protagonist, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, It. I would tell you more about it, but it's like sort of when I was explaining lessons in chemistry to some of my friends and they go, mm. oh, that does not sound that interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I, I'm really, really enjoying his voice and I'm enjoying the, the, the different arcs that I have going on um, and the themes in it are different. So um, yeah, I'm working on that. So um, just to finish off, Bonnie, would you call yourself now a copywriter or a writer? <laughs> you know, I'm still a copywriter and a writer. I think all copywriters are writers. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'll call myself a novelist now. That's, whew, that's a lucky one. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel very lucky to be able to call myself that. Yeah. Very lucky. Well, we'll keep going. Uh, Bonnie Garmus, thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was just wonderful to speak with you today. (laughs) If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. Mom. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.